Right, if you find 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, while you're doing that, we'll just pray as well before we begin. Lord, we ask now that you'll just give us concentration on your word. Father, we pray that your truth will get into our hearts now. Father, we pray that we'll be aware of you speaking to us, you teaching us. Father, we pray that your truth will actually become our experience. So, Lord, as we turn to your word, just turn our eyes upon Jesus as well, Lord, that we might see him and that he might just be released in our lives that little bit more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Right, well, we come to the sixth talk that we're doing in this series on the gifts of the Spirit. And um, we've given the gifts a good wacko, haven't we? You know, we've looked at them and we've really gone into them. But uh, what I want us to move on to tonight is we're going to have a look at the things which hinder us in ministering the gifts of the Spirit. Just turn to verse 12, and before, sorry, to verse 14. And we're going to read some verses and to see what Paul says about this. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 14, he says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the organs in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single organ, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body which seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body which we think less honourable we invest with the greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so adjusted the body, giving the greater honour to the inferior part, that there may be no discord in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now, what we're going to see is that in those verses, what Paul is doing, he's correcting two types of Christian. All right? And the first type that we're going to spend most of our time on tonight are the Christians who, when it comes to moving in the gifts of the Spirit, hold back. Now this is the first thing we're going to look at. The first type of Christian that Paul is correcting here are the Christians who hold back in regards to the gifts of the Spirit. Let's remind ourselves of just two or three verses we've seen. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't turn to it, Paul says, Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophesying. Paul says, come on, get on with it, get out there and get moving in the gifts. Don't quench the Spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1. Paul says, make love your aim, 
and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then in verse 39, he says, So my brethren, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Now we've already seen, God wants us, that is me, and that is you, to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God wants that, each one of us to be doing it, and he has made it abundantly clear in the Bible that that is the case. However, if God wants us to move freely in the Spirit, someone else doesn't. Satan does not want you and I moving freely in the gifts of the Spirit. And what we're going to ask ourselves is, how then does he prevent us? Because boy, he does. But how is it that Satan is so good at preventing us from moving in the gifts of the Spirit when God wants us to? What is it he's using in us? And what we're going to see is that Satan prevents us by using and by capitalising on our fears and our insecurities and all our little foibles like that. <clears throat> now, that is another way of saying that he uses our sinful nature. Let's remember, fears and insecurities come directly because we've got a sinful nature. Jesus had no fears, he had no insecurities. Can you see? Now, we're going to see how it is that Satan is using these things in us to prevent us from moving out in the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to see as well at each point that if it's our sinfulness or various <laughs> manifestations of our sinful natures that he's using, if that's the case, then we can beat him dead easy hands down through repentance. So tonight is going to be very, very positive indeed. Let's have a look at some of the things, some of the ways that Satan prevents us from moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And that uh, some of these won't apply to you. Some will, if the cat fit wears it. That's, that's the motto here. Now then, firstly, some Christians, they won't move in the Spirit, and the reason being that they have a fear of getting it wrong in case the Lord is going to be angry with them. Now, Christian, some Christians hold back. They fear that if they step out and do it wrong, that God's going to be angry with them, and the wrath of God and the old ton of bricks is going to come. You know, do you remember the Monty Python foot? <laughs> All right? And many Christians, they, they have that view of God. All right. Now, there are two things here. There are two things. And the first one is this, fear. These Christians fear how God is going to react. Now, we've got to understand that fear is of the devil. Go to 1 John 4. John's first epistle. We'll read verse 18. <clears throat> he says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And the reason that as Christians we need not fear is because God is love and he hasn't got punishment for us. I mean, he disciplines us as sons, but God's not out to get us if we do wrong. And can you see that Satan wants to instill fear in us? 
but fear is always of the devil. All right. Now, there's one exception to that, and this is the exception I want to show you. All of us experience from time to time what I call a built-in fear, the survival instinct. Can you see? Now, God has actually built that fear into us to help us stay alive. The old shot of adrenaline. For instance, if you're walking across the road and you suddenly hear, so you turn and there's a bus coming straight from, for you, well, because you'll be so frightened, that reaction causes adrenaline to flow through you and it helps you get out of the way a little bit quicker. So I'm not talking about that kind of fear. The, the survival instinct, no problem. But what we need to understand is that apart from that, the truth is that we have nothing to fear from God. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. Can you say that? We have nothing to fear from God, and therefore, we have nothing to fear. Remember, in Jeremiah, God said through that prophet to his people, I know the thoughts I have towards you, thoughts of peace, not evil. There's no need for us to ever fear what God is up to in us. Now, what this means is that we have got to start overcoming those feelings of fear which prevent us from serving the Lord. And you see, the thing is that the way we're going to do that, and remember, we're speaking about the gifts of the Spirit specifically, but much as what I'm going to say tonight will apply to many areas of our lives. But the point is that whenever <coughs> we realise that through fear, through feelings of fear, we haven't obeyed what God wanted us to do, then we must repent of that. And the reason that we must repent of it is because it is cowardice. It is cowardice. We have a great knack of making sin sound acceptable, don't we? We've got to look things straight in the eye and stop making half as many as excuses for ourselves as we do. To disobey God through fear is cowardice. And cowardice, believe me, is a sin. But if we don't overcome this fear, if we don't repent of it when we give in to it, we're never going to come through into the kind of freedom in the Christian life and in regards to the gifts of the Spirit that God wants us to. I'm going to be sort of chucking out some examples from my own experience tonight to try and kind of underline the things that, that I want to say. And I can remember a few years ago, and this is sort of going back some years, and uh, what, what happened was I went to a fellowship and I knew the people and the Lord gave me a word of prophecy for that fellowship. Now, what happened is that in that word of prophecy, I went on too long. Can you see? The prophecy ended, but I kept going. So some of the prophecy was purely of me. It wasn't of the Lord. Now, someone who did absolutely right, a friend of mine, he just said, Beresford, I don't think that was from the Lord. That, that's got to be tested. You know, you went on too long. <clears throat> now, the effect that had on me was this. I had never, from the earliest months of becoming a Christian, I had never had any shortage of Christians telling me that I was a false prophet. And Satan used to work on that right from the time I first got converted. All right. Now, when this guy said what he did in the meeting, and he was right to say it, Satan kind of came on me like a ton of bricks, and this fear came, I thought, ah, 
I am a false prophet. Totally irrational fear. But it really got me. And so I decided that night I would never prophesy again. All right? Because if I never prophesied again, I would never undergo the fear that I went through as a result of what that guy said. And I emphasised what he said was right. I went on too long. That prophecy was not all of God. A lot of it was me. But it put a fear of prophecy in my heart. Now then, some weeks later, and I managed to keep away from prophesying for quite a few weeks, you know, I mean, you can do it if you try hard, there are ways. But what happened was, I was up in Suffolk then, and uh, there was a Don Double crusade, which I kind of ended up, up at, you know, I mean, sort of, you know, just some friends of mine were going, and they said, do you want to come along? And I thought, well, why not, you see? And uh, what the particular night I went, he was giving his sort of testimony, and... Uh, sort of, he, he was after two groups of people, he was after unbelievers to get saved, but also he was after believers to be baptised in the Spirit. Big tent, hundreds of people in it, you know, and there's me sitting about two thirds from the back on the right, not nice and safe you see. Anyway, he sort of, he gave his testimony and, and, and he asked people who weren't Christians who wanted to be converted to come forward and quite a few people did non-Christians who became Christians and they were escorted out into smaller tents you know for sort of counselling and stuff like that and then when he'd done that <coughs> he kind of made an appeal for believers to be baptised with the Spirit now I had sort of already just tuned in I mean you discern these things that he was wasting his time on that one I mean, it was clear that the Holy Spirit was getting through to the unbelievers, but no way was anyone going to get through to the believers. You could just discern the hard-heartedness in that tent, you see. So Don Double, he really sort of dived in, talking about how important it was for the believers to be baptised with the Spirit. And he gave them a chance, and I mean, you could have cut the air with a knife. It was that, you know, the barriers in the Christians' hearts were right up. It was absolutely amazing. Anyway, I'm sitting there thinking, poor chap, you know, sort of rather him than me, you know, with that lot. And uh, I'm sort of sitting there, and the Lord gives me a prophecy. And I absolutely froze. I was absolutely terrified. Now, one of the reasons God does is because I can project my voice. It's no good in a big meeting. God giving a prophecy to someone that he wants everyone to hear who's a kind of a whisperer. So I suppose he picked me because I've got a loud voice, all right. And he gave me this prophecy and I, I, I was utterly terrified. I remembered my vow to never prophesy again. And you see, the thing is, the, the fear in my heart, I had visions that if I, if I stood up and let this prophecy rip, you see, that I, I had pictures of sort of Don Double discerning me, and sort of saying, bring that man to me. <laughs> and I, I saw myself being dragged down to the front by the stewards to have all these demons that people said were in me cast out. And I thought, oh no. And I really was, I was sweating and I was shaking. But I sweated and shook for a few minutes. And, and of course, when the Lord wants you to do something, he doesn't give you peace. Uh, so, so then, not only was I terrified, now I wasn't at peace with God, because I wasn't doing what he was saying. I was getting a right old state, I really was. And so what I thought, well look, hang on, hang on, let's, let's be rational about this. I mean, I'm sitting there going through all this in my mind, and I thought, look, if I'm a false prophet, I want to know. It'd help, save me a lot of trouble, wouldn't it, you see? So I thought, right, here's a good place for me to be exposed, 
all right, I get all my demons cast out, you see, and uh, then I'll know, won't I, you see, because I'll be given a false prophecy and Don Douglas will say, bring that man to me, that's not of the Lord, and stuff like that. So I thought, right, let's end it here, one way or the other, but I knew God wanted me to do it, and underneath all that fear, I wanted to do it because God wanted me to do it. So I took a deep breath and I belted it out, all right? Now, <clears throat> what came out was the Lord telling his people not to be so hard-hearted and stubborn and to get baptised in the Spirit. Now, as soon as I let that prophecy rip, spontaneously, loads of people stood up all over the meeting and went to the front. And as soon as I'd finished it as well, Don, don't, I mean, I don't know him, he don't know me, but he said, the first thing he said, as soon as I'd finished that prophecy, he said, I confirm 100% that that was of the Lord. And these people came down the front, and Don Double said, he said, look at that, I wasted my time for an hour, and he said, one word from the Lord, and look what he can do. Now, can you see, if I'd have given in to that fear, I would have possibly been buried, as far as prophecy was, for, for years possibly, because of the fear it was causing in me. But because I overcame that fear, because I said, Lord, I'm not going to give in to it, can you see, God confirmed so abundantly that prophecy, when it came through me, was genuine. Not all of it, no one prophesies perfectly, but can you see, it was just the encouragement that I needed. So the point is that with fear, if you give into it, it will bury you. It will bury you. But if you stand against it, each time you do, you'll get stronger because God will honour you and he'll encourage. Do you remember last time? We saw that prophecy is to, you know, time before last, prophecy means to encourage, it means to embolden, that God wants us to overcome fear and to receive the encouragement he wants to give us. But that will only happen when we repent of fear or giving in to, nothing wrong with feelings of fear, but if you give in to them, that's cowardice, and we have to repent of that because it is a sin. But we're talking here about people who don't step out in the gifts because they fear that if they get it wrong, the Lord will be angry. Well, we've dealt with fear, but there's something else here as well. This thing that prevents some Christians from doing it entails a totally wrong idea of God. Go to Psalm 103. <coughs> Psalm 103. Now, let's read from verse 6. Now listen to this, because this is absolutely beautiful. Psalm 103, verse 6. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. And boy, was I oppressed at that Don Double meeting. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Is there a ton of bricks coming down on you here? No, don't see it slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. I mean, would any of us do anything in the power of God if he dealt with us according to our sins? Of course we wouldn't. We'd all be in the lake of fire, wouldn't we? 
nor requite us according to our iniquities. <coughs> For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Now, can you see that if you ever fear that if you make an honest mistake, God's going to be down on you like a ton of bricks, let me tell you, you are sinning against the Lord in a horrendous way. We must understand that um, to misjudge someone is sin, isn't it? I mean, it is not a sin to make an honest mistake. We must understand this, whether it's in the gifts of the Spirit or anything else. It is not a sin to make an honest mistake. Now, there are two types of mistake, all right? Um, I mean, sort of say, say if one of you men here ran off with Bella, that would be a mistake. <laughs> but, but that would also be a sin. Can you see? I'm not talking about that kind of mistake. We're talking about honest mistakes. Go to James, the epistle of James. And chapter 3, I think it is. James chapter 3 and verse 2. Now listen to what he says. He says, For we all make many mistakes, and if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect man. Now here... One of the Bible writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look, we all make mistakes. Can you see? It's understandable. We're not God, therefore we make mistakes. God is not itching to get his hands on us and sort us out for the slightest error that we make. That is a satanic counterfeit picture of God. Now, we're going to be back to that in a later study in this series. Many Christians suffer in their Christian lives because they are believing a satanic counterfeit God. I'm not saying they're not saved, but what they believe about God, in fact, isn't what the Bible says, it's what Satan is telling them. And if you have this fear that God's going to come down on you, be angry with you if you make a mistake in the gifts of the Spirit, well, I mean, no, there's no way. And that is a sin, and you've got to repent of it, because it's misjudging. If you end up believing something horrible about someone and they're not guilty of it, that is a sin. That is misjudging someone. I remember, again, this is, you know, I haven't been a Christian too long, and uh, sort of like there was a load of us sort of young people, uh, and, uh, you know, we were sort of like meeting in the church hall and that, and there was a lady who went to this church, and uh, she sort of said to us, would you like on a Sunday night to come back and use my, my place, you see, her house? Now, I knew this lady. She went to the church. Um... And I'll be quite frank, I didn't want to, and my reason was as follows. I thought she was an old bag. It's as simple as that. I couldn't stand her. I thought she was an old bag. She was also way out doctrinally, but that wasn't why I didn't want to. I thought she was a silly bag. I couldn't stand her. But I thought, well, there's nothing I'm doing. How can I explain this to a fellowship that I'm leading that we can't go back and use her house because I think she's an old bag? I mean, it just, well, leaders don't do that, do they, you see? So I was trapped. So we had to go there. And uh, so we went along for the first evening. And you know what? She was lovely. She was lovely. You see, I had taken one look at her, and it was one of those occasions 
I just didn't like her from the start. There was something about her that I didn't like, and I made all kinds of assumptions about her, all right? And that night, we went to that house, and she was lovely. I couldn't, I mean, the Lord really convicted me. And, and I, I just, afterwards, when we left, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I was fairly tactful about it. I didn't tell her what, what I actually thought in its full extremity. But I said, look, I'm sorry, I have misjudged you. I said, I'm sorry, I think you're lovely, you see. And she, she, she's only sort of down like that, and she looks up at me, you see. And she said, oh, Beresford, she said, I believe that forgiveness is instantaneous. And she gave me a big hug. Can you see? Can you see what a terrible sin I committed against that lady? I totally misjudged her. Now, if you if if you have these fears that God's going to come down on you like a ton of brick, you're doing that to God. Can you see? Therefore, there's got to be repentance. If this is one of the things that's holding you back from ministering the gifts, you've got to repent of it. All right. Because it's sin. And as you repent of it, then the Lord will begin to give you the grace to overcome it. And you see, the thing is that because we're in fellowship, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit and stepping out in the gifts of the Spirit, of course we're going to make mistakes. But because we have the safety of being in fellowship, it's quite safe. Because everything that anyone does here is going to be tested by the rest of us according to the Bible. Can you see? Don't worry about making mistakes. It's quite safe. And let me say as well, <clears throat> that if you do step out and make a mistake, and we all will, anyone jeering at a Christian who makes an honest mistake has got a real problem. So if you ever do step out and make a mistake, and the old tongues start wagging, oh, did you see what she did? Or, oh, did you see what he did? That's their problem. That's not yours. They're the ones with the problem. You pray for them. Right, now then, there's another reason why some Christians don't move out the gifts of the Spirit. And I call this one the I'll fluff it and look like a right wally syndrome. All right? Now, the first one, frightened that God will be cross if you make a mistake, that one was Satan using what God thinks. All right? Now, this one, I'll fluff it and look like a right Wally syndrome, this is Satan using what other people think, alright? Now, the first one, as we've seen, is sheer, sheer cowardice, alright? But this one, if this is what's stopping you stepping out, this is sheer pride. Absolute pride. This thing, oh, I'll look silly, is utter utter sinful nature ego and that is all it is and i've got no sympathy for it we mustn't look for sympathy for it it's a sin and when we start calling it a sin and repenting of it for heaven's sake what does it matter what other people think does it not matter what god thinks can you see so if God wants you to do something and you think, well, I might get it wrong and then I'll look silly. Well, I mean, you, you, you're giving in. You're, you're saying, Lord, I'm not going to bother about what you think. Somebody else might think I look silly. Now, that is pride. That is disobeying God through sheer ego. We've got to take into account not what other people think. We've got to take into account what the law thinks. Go to 1 Corinthians 4. One Corinthians, Paul had something to say about this. 1 Corinthians 4. And look what he says in verse 9. He says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. Uh, just a point. Isn't this different from people who have ministries who think they're the tops? Isn't it? And you're all supposed to flock round them 
You're all supposed to give them loads of money. You're all supposed to tip the cap spiritually, sir, rabbi. And they're expecting it. Paul, who was an apostle, he says that God has exhibited us last of all. Remember, people with a ministry, they're servants. You're not there to serve them. They're there to serve you. We've got to get that right. He says, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle, a spectacle to the world, the angels of men. Are you worried about making a spectacle of yourself? Paul made a spectacle of himself. And he said, we are fools for Christ's sake. Can you see? Don't worry about looking like a Burke for God. <laughs> because if you're worried about looking like a Burke, then you will never learn to step out in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, again, some time ago, I used to have a friend who was, um, he's got a ministry of the working of miracles, all right? And, uh, one of his specialities, or one of the ways that the Lord uses him, and I mean, I got to know this guy quite well, so I got under quite a bit of pressure from him. And one of it is, if he's driving along the road, and he's always in a hurry, if he sees someone broken down by the side of the road, what he does is he stops his car, and he's never got time to fix the car. He stops the car, he gets out of the car, he grabs their hands, he doesn't introduce himself, he just grabs his hands, he says, let's have a word with the Lord Jesus about this, you see. And he grabs them, and before they can say no, he says, Lord, I just pray that you'll fix this car in Jesus' name, all right? And then he says, turn the key, all right? They put the key, and every time the car starts. And then, boom, in, in the car, and he's off, because he's in a hurry. And he's left people standing by the side of the road in tears, all right? <laughs> now, I mean, I got to know him, and uh, now, I mean, obviously, a ministry of the working of miracles is different from being used in the gift every now and then. But, I mean, you know, I thought, well, you know, sort of, dear, oh, dear, I'm, I'm not really doing very well, am I? And uh, so the point is that eventually you've got, to, you've got to start taking risks, okay? Now, while I knew this guy, one day I was driving into Bury, and uh, I was in a hurry, all right? I had to be there at a certain time. And, and, and I drove over a crossroads, all right? There's a garage over there, and I drove over a crossroads, middle of the country, loads of fields, all right? And there's this lady on the other side of the road with her bonnet up. <laughs> Obviously, her car had broken down. Now, you see, the problem was I saw her, you see, so I couldn't drive past. I tried not to see her, but I had seen her. Do you know the feeling? If you've seen something, you've seen it, you see. So anyway, you know, sort of two minutes later, I'm backing up from the other end of the road, you know, knowing that, oh, you know, Lord, I've got to start stepping out here. If I don't start stepping out in faith, I'm never going to get anywhere, you see. So I went up to her, you see, and uh, I said, and I, I said, let's just have a word with Jesus about this. Now, now she looked at me weird. <laughs> you know, she really did look at me weird. Uh, and uh, anyway, you know, but I had a, she backed off a bit. But nevertheless, I, I knew what I was doing. And I, and I just prayed. I said, Lord, I just pray that, that you start this car, you see. And, and, and so I sort of said, have you got the keys? And the keys were in there. All right, and I said, go on, turn it, see, like that, and this big grin on my face, you see, and she turned it, and nothing happened. Now, now, there was a ditch, I've actually taken Belinda there to the place, right, there was a ditch just by the side, and all I wanted to do was go to Bury St Edmunds via that ditch, all right, on my hands and knees. And I looked at her, and she was looking at me. And, I mean, I ended up pushing her car to that garage. And I was late, all right. But, you see, 
the point is now now what the law showed me, I mean the law was sort of saying I mean I'm not quoting what the law said but I mean I know that in regards to that the law was looking down and said oh bless him <laughs> you know bless him for trying <laughs> yeah. but of course what I was doing and it was only after I realised this I was copying someone else can you see it wasn't faith at all it was the equivalent of going for a formula but the Lord knew my heart he'll honour me for that but can you see that I mean, you're not going to get it right every time. I mean, let's face it. And when we're starting, I mean, it will possibly be the case for a long, long time that you won't get it right full stop. But it's only as we keep going, not worrying about what we look like. Uh, again, we sort of mentioned Jim tonight, now sort of uh, about six months ago. Uh, he phoned up one night and he had a really bad head. As you know, he's, he's sort of like a dialysis patient and he's got his machine downstairs and he phoned up one night and I always knew ever since we got to know him I always knew one day I'm gonna have to just come through into the freedom to just pray with him on the phone uh, because I mean with some people once I get used to praying with somebody on the phone it's no problem but sometimes with new people I mean I know it doesn't bother Robert and Bella in the slightest but but it takes me a while to overcome that with some people for some reason praying on the phone and I always remember years and years and years and years ago um, as when I was working in the insurance office uh, over in Debden and I phoned Robert up one day you see and we were praying over the phone I'm sitting there in the office and he got a tongue I had to interpret this tongue in the office oh no Lord I'm never doing that again so now I, I only phone Robert now because I'm in full-time ministry but I said I will never phone him again as long as I'm working in a secular job you see but anyway about six months ago, Jim phoned up, you see, one night, and he said, oh, Barry, so I've got a tick. You know, I said, how are you, Jim? He said, oh, I'm really feeling rough. He said, I've got a really bad head. I think I'm going to go to bed early and stuff like that. And I was tied up doing something, so I couldn't go down. And so I said, come on, Jim, let's, let's just pray about this. And so I just, we just prayed on the phone with Jim, and I just asked the Lord to heal him of that bad head, to, to take the bad head away and, uh, you know, just to give him a good night's sleep. Anyway, about an hour or so later, I was free, and I said to Blender, Oh, come on, let's just let's just pop down and see, you know, sort of see how he is, all right. Was it half an hour later? About half an hour later, we go down, flashing lights everywhere. I went in his room, and the ambulance men are carting him off to hospital, you see. And he had to go into hospital, so he got so much worse, you see. And we came up afterwards, and we got back to the flat, and I said, Blinda, you must remind me not to pray that the Lord will heal people. See, it only seems to make them worse. And boy, I feel stupid. But can you see, it doesn't matter. Because I know that, that, that the Lord is going to honour me for that. Can you see? What I'm trying to do is to say, look, it doesn't matter if you end up looking like an idiot if you have really stepped out in a genuine step of faith. Even if it proves to have been a mistake, even if it proves that it didn't work, if you stepped out genuinely, not to impress someone, not to look big, but if you stepped out genuinely, then that is absolutely no problem at all. <coughs> and it is a major way of overcoming this terrible thing in us that worries about what people think about us. And what does it matter if people think that we are daft? I mean, again, we've got to repent of that pride.
pride in us. As we've got to repent of the cowardice for the first one, we've got to repent of the pride that's tied up with this fearing, looking absolutely stupid, all right? And it's only repentance. It's only when we judge ourselves, you know, properly and stop making excuses and actually call sin, sin, all right, that is when the Lord is really going to start getting us free. Now then, there's a third one that stops some Christians stepping out. And it's, it's a feeling of presumptuousness at the thought of being used by God. Can you see? Uh, I mean, these people, they say, oh, me? 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 Oh, oh no, God, oh, I'm, just, I'm not worthy. Oh, God would never use me, they say, don't they? You meet these Christians all over the place. Oh, God, God couldn't, never in my wildest dreams could I imagine God using me. You know, can you say, uh, now, now these are the super humble people, these are. Oh, I wouldn't, wouldn't dream of presuming that God will use them. Now look, let's understand this. If you won't step out in the gifts of the Spirit because you think you're not worthy, let me tell you, you're dead right, you're not. No one is. None of us are. The Christian life is on the basis of grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Can you see? There's no question of this. I mean, someone is presuming when they try to do something above their station. Now, let me tell you, when it comes to the Christian life, there ain't no stations. There's Jesus and there's the rest of us. Can you see? <laughs> so there's no question of being presumptuous or anything like that. Again, the first time I ever laid hands on somebody, it was only a few weeks after I actually became a Christian, the first time I ever laid hands on someone, they wanted to be baptised with the Spirit, and they told me, and I thought, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> you know, so we prayed and I laid hands on them, and they were baptised with the Spirit. But... A couple of hours later, I mean, that night I hardly slept. And the reason I hardly slept is because I felt so convicted and so troubled by the fact that I laid hands on somebody, I dared to lay hands on somebody when I wasn't an ordained clergyman. That troubled me all night. Incidentally, that is the fruit of priesthood. If, you know, I mean, that is when churches have clergy-laity divide, that's the fruit of it. Because, you see, when I first became a Christian, I was in the Anglican church, and I was deceived by Anglican teaching. And there I was, having laid hands on someone, a great victory for me in the Christian life, the first time I ever did it, and I lost the night's sleep because I felt so guilty because I dared do it because I wasn't a clergyman. Now, can you see how crazy that is? All of us are to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, when you get the Greek word for gifts of the Spirit, the Greek word is charismata. And it comes from the verb charis, from the noun charis, which means grace, alright? And grace means undeserved kindness. If you receive something through grace, you receive it as a free gift. You do not earn something that is given on the basis of grace. By definition, you do not earn it. It's a free gift. It requires nothing except that you receive it. Uh, now, I don't know if you remember years and years ago, although they probably still do it, but when you got the cereal, the free gift in the cereal, and I remember many a breakfast time when I'm in sort of like a packet of sugar puffs, 
would end up all over the kitchen because me and my brother were fighting for a little submarine inside. And mum would get the new one out, we'd pounce on it, and boom, and the box was flying. Sugar puffs everywhere. Because they used to put these little submarines in, and that when you're having a bath, if you put baking powder in the top, they used to sink to the bottom. And then when they got to the bottom, all these bubbles, and they used to float back up to the top. And when they got back up to the top, they used to go back to the bottom, you see. And all these video games, electronic games you get today, they're not half as good as those little submarines were. I mean, we used to spend an evening in the bath playing with them, you know, and they used to come free in sugar puffs or something like that. Now, you see, the point about them is that you bought the product, the cereal, or you paid for the cereal, and when you opened it, there was a free gift inside, but you didn't have to pay anything more for the free gift. It was yours for nothing, thrown in for absolutely nothing. Now, you see, the thing with the Christian life <coughs> is that with God, the product itself, i.e. salvation, the product itself is free. You don't have to buy it, it's given to you as a free gift. But when you get it home, open it up, all these other free gifts fall out. There's all these, you know, sort of kind of supernatural submarines flying about. Can you see? They are absolutely, totally free gifts. So, therefore, anything, I mean, behind this, this, oh, God wouldn't use me, I wouldn't presume, behind that is the lurking idea that the gifts of the Spirit are a sign of spirituality. A lot of people think that. If they see someone moving in the gifts of the Spirit, they say, oh, step back amazement, oh, what a mature Christian. No, absolutely none of it. They might be, but you don't have to be a mature Christian in order to move in the gifts of the Spirit. We must get rid of this idea that moving in the gifts of the Spirit is a sign, per se, of being a mature Christian. It's not. And I'll tell you what blows that apart, the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, I mean, they had spiritual gifts coming out of their ear holes. In fact, when it came to tongues, I mean, Paul was saying, look, just stop. You know, just hold it. Cut back on them. He wasn't saying drop them completely, but, but they were going over the top. And yet Corinth were the most carnal, unspiritual church recorded for us in the Bible. So never get the idea that to, I mean, if, if, if you move in a gift, I mean, say the Lord gives you a prophecy, that's great, I'm rejoicing with you, fantastic, all right, but don't go home and think, oh, I'm really making progress now, you know, don't go home and think that. It's a free gift, you did nothing to deserve it or anything like that at all, all right. Now then, you see, we've just got to step out in faith. All right, this is what we've got to do. We've just, with the gifts of the Spirit, you've just got to step out in faith and do it. Now look, there's a little sort of motto. Keep this as your motto for the gifts of the Spirit. This won't be spiritual enough for some people, but I think I've been showing you that they're not half as spiritual as some Christians think they are. And the motto for the gifts of the Spirit is this. Practice makes perfect. Simple as that. Make your mistakes because practice makes perfect. I remember the first time I ever cast evil spirits out of somebody. Um, <clears throat> now, when I became a Christian, I was involved in the occult, and I had evil spirits cast out of me. All right. So therefore, evil spirits weren't a problem to me. When you've had them kicked out of you, you're no longer in awe of evil spirits. You see them for the pathetic things that they are. So therefore, I had no problem with evil spirits at all. Now, some months after I became a Christian, I started to think along the lines of, uh, well, Lord, look, seeing as, as I've had evil spirits cast out of me, I'm not worried about evil spirits. 
do you want to use me to cast evil spirits out of other people? And I was just praying about this and just asking the Lord if he wanted to. And then I remember one Sunday, I was still with the street theatre group then, and sometimes we were going around doing things at various churches. And uh, one Sunday afternoon, we were sort of like at this church rehearsing for the evening service. And uh, we had a break, and I was sort of wandering around uh, sort of like the back, and they had a, a, a bookstore there. And uh, I saw a book, actually, about the occult and covering what the Bible taught about it and stuff like that. And uh, I thought, well, I don't know as much about it as I should do, you know, and this book's really, you know, because I haven't been a Christian long, and I thought this book would really help me understand what the Bible says about it. And uh, I didn't have any money on me, and so I thought, oh yeah, I know. And uh, I mean, very, very rarely have I done this. I don't recommend this all the time. I mean, I've probably done it a handful of times in 17 years, but this was one of those occasions. And uh, I sort of said, well, look, Lord, how about if you want me so if you want to use me to cast evil spirits out of people, how about if you let me have that book for nothing? All right. So I knew I couldn't take it and walk off with it. I mean, that wouldn't be on, would it? So I said, Lord, OK, let me have that book for nothing. And then if you do, then I'll know that you are wanting to use me in that way. Anyway, sort of like the rest of the Sunday went through, we sort of did our spot in the evening service. Then afterwards, I mean, I was just chatting with people at the back and that. And I was standing by the bookstall, and one of the church, well, I think it was a Methodist church, I can't remember, but one of the guys obviously in charge came up to me, and I was just chatting. And we were standing by the bookstall, and out of the blue, he said, look, I'll tell you, he said, look, I think the Lord wants you to have one of those, you just have one of those books. I just think the Lord wants you to have one. You take it, no money, you see. So off I went, you know, sort of praising the Lord with my book about, you know, sort of, you know, sort of occult from, you know, Christianity's point of view. And so I thought, yes, Lord, that, that, that's right, that's good. Um, you know, but I mean, I had a bit of common sense in those days, not a lot, but I had a bit. And uh, so I, I mean, I, I didn't know, sort of like Trevor Deering personally, but I'd heard about him. I didn't know him, but he was the only person I'd ever heard of, all right, who, who knew anything about it, you see. So I phoned him up, he didn't know me, and I went round there one afternoon, and I just explained, and I said, look, what do you reckon? And we sort of prayed together, and he sort of said, yeah, I think that you're right, God is wanting to give you a ministry of deliverance, you see. Anyway, so from that point, I mean, I, I sort of knew that, that eventually, some, you know, in God's time and in God's way, obviously, that I would end up casting evil spirits out of people, you see. Uh, I, I didn't know when. Anyway, when the first time came, I mean, it, it, it couldn't have been, I mean, talk about out of the blue, you know, in actual fact, strangely enough, <coughs> I ended up at a party. Now, I didn't go to parties. I didn't like them. I went to that party because I believed God wanted me to, simple as that, you see. And uh, there were some Christians at that party, and, uh, you know, sort of like who I knew vaguely, and, you know, we ended up chatting and stuff like that. And uh, and then there was a girl there, and uh, she she sort of was, was really going silly, all right, really going crazy and stuff like that. And I knew, I knew that it was because of evil spirits, you see. And, uh, you know, so we took her outside and we sort of prayed for her and I sort of just did my best, didn't know what to do, but she seemed all right and she became a Christian and stuff like that. And then we discovered that uh, sort of she, she lived at an old people's home in Loudon, it's been knocked down now, uh, but it had been used a lot for spiritualism and seances and stuff like that. I mean, quite a lot of occult activity had gone on and apparently it was haunted up to the eyeballs or something like that. And uh, her brother was a Christian and that, but he had been really concerned because he was living in this big old people's home, his mum and dad ran it, 
and uh, there was all these demonic things coming, you know, going on, and uh, you know, so we ended up going back to the place, and uh, anyway, we sort of went in, and now, now I didn't know what to do, you see, I mean, and and it was as simple as that. It suddenly occurred to me, I forgot to ask Trevor how you do it. <laughs> you know, I asked him if I should. Yeah, I hadn't asked Trevor how to do it, so I didn't know how. But the result was that we ended up with all the demons in that house in one person. Don't ask me to explain it, but we were praying in the house. I was coming against these evil spirits and stuff like that. And suddenly, whoosh, they all went into one bloke. And you should have seen the things he was doing. It was absolutely incredible. But I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. I sort of scratched my head, literally. Literally, I scratched my head. What now? The only thing I could think of was get him outside. Then at least we got all the demons out of the house, because they're all in him now, and then we get them outside, you see. So we got him outside, and we sat him in someone's car, and I sort of sat him on the front seat with the door open, and I was just sort of like kneeling down in front of him, holding his hands and that. And he was sort of like that. He was jumping up and down and flying all over the place, making these funny noises. And I didn't have the foggiest idea what to do. And then sort of what came to me was, uh, yeah, I know. So I, you know, I grabbed his hands and I started saying Lord's Prayer. That's all. You know, I thought, yeah, why not? Give that a crack, you see? So I started praying the Lord's Prayer, and when I got to deliver us from evil, I mean, wow, boom, out they went. And he was fine. And, I mean, great, his sister got converted, all the demons went, he was free, no problem whatsoever. Now, the point is, I now know that that ain't how you do it, you see. But can you see, <laughs> but can you see that was the first time. Now, because my heart was right, and because I was responding to the way God was leading me, this wasn't experimentation. It wasn't kind of, oh, let's give it a crack, this is, you know, out of my own head. This was the Lordly. I didn't know what to do, but I knew one thing, that Jesus was going to set those people free. Now, I did it all wrong, but I did it wrong because of ignorance. And the Lord made up and overruled all my silly ways of doing it. And the result was the same. And obviously, I mean, sort of after that, loads and loads of people used to come to me. And, and then obviously, you know, I mean, it wasn't a problem anymore. The Lord sort of showed me, you know, sort of what to do, what not to do and stuff like that. So it wasn't a problem. But can you see, step out in faith. Practice makes perfect. Don't fear making all the mistakes. Remember that like Quality Street, the gifts are made for sharing. And it's only when we start chucking them around a bit at each other. I mean, at Christmas, you've got a big tin of Quality Street. It doesn't sit there unopened, does it? And if it's anything like our place, when Belinda gets hold of it, all you do, you see her two legs protruding from the bottom of this tin of Quality Street. You can't see the rest of her. It's just her feet hanging out, you know. And Quality Street chocolates flying around everywhere, you see. Now, that's what it should be with the gifts of the Spirit. But we've got to step out and we've got to overcome the things that hold us back. One more thing as well, and this is very quick. Don't be part of a church or fellowship where the gifts of the Spirit are not freely welcomed and encouraged. I'll say that again. Do not be part of a church or part of a fellowship where the gifts of the Spirit are not welcomed or encouraged. And I'll tell you why not. 
the condition for you being part of that church or fellowship is that you agree to be disobedient to God about the gifts of the Spirit. If the Lord gives you a prophecy, then you must give that prophecy decently and in order, etc., etc. Can you see? There are loads and loads of you know loads and loads of Christians in churches, and do you know what they do? They know the meetings where they can use the gifts, and they know the meetings that they can't. You usually find it that the morning services was dead as a dodo, but the evening services here and there they let the gifts of the spirit in. Now I'll tell you, if you're going to a morning service like that, you're saying, "No, Lord, hold them off this morning, but well, we'll let you the, tonight." Can you see? You can't go along with that. Don't be in a church that doesn't welcome and encourage the gifts of the spirit. If you do, you're in disobedience to the Lord. And, and also, one other thing I'm going to chuck in there as well. There are some churches that do allow the gifts of the Spirit, but only when the elders give you permission. So if you think you've got a prophecy, you have to go up the front, have a word with the elders. Is it all right? And they say, what is it? And you tell them what it is. And they say, all right, we'll let that one through. Or, oh, no, can't say that. <laughs> Get out of churches like that. You're not being allowed to live in the freedom that the Bible says that you should have. Anyway, we've said that this passage we read in 1 Corinthians 12, that it was cor to correct two types of Christian. Now, we've seen that, that, that most of the verses, all but one of the verses, are to correct the Christians with the spiritual inferiority complexes, i.e. the ones who kind of hold back all the time. But let's read verse 21, because verse 21 is for another type of Christian. Paul says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now then, the first Christians, the first type, their problem is that they hold back. Now then, verse 21 is correcting another type of Christian. <coughs> and the type of Christian Paul's correcting there are the Christians who think that they have a monopoly on the gifts of the Spirit and who work on the assumption that they are always right. I'll say that again. Verse 21 is to correct Christians who seem to think they've got some kind of monopoly on the gifts of the Spirit, and who always work on the assumption that they're right. There are many Christians who will minister the gifts of the Spirit at the drop of a hat. Now, can you see that? That is a danger area. Beware of Christians who minister the gifts at the drop of a hat. They're always ready to dive in with a gift of the Spirit. You can see them. You know, they're like David Thompson on the start pad, aren't they? You know, they can't wait. Boom! The slightest opportunity and they're in. Now, in Isaiah 28, verse 16, the prophet gives us some very wise advice. He who believes will not be in haste. All right? Now, if you're one of the hyperactive Christians who can't wait to minister a gift of a spirit again, the slightest opportunity and boom, you're in, then God's word is just take it easy. Cool it, baby. You know, just calm down. Don't be in such a hurry. God's not in a hurry. Why should you be in a hurry? So can you see? Those who hold back must come forward, but also we must never encourage monopolizers. However, what's got to be said as well is this. There are Christians who dominate with the gifts of the Spirit. Of course there are. But in a fellowship, 
If each one of us were playing our equal part, if each one of us were moving in the Holy Spirit in the gifts, that would make it very, very difficult for someone to be a monopolizer. Can you see what I mean? Now, there are some Christians who are too upfront, too dogmatic, too kind of ministering at the drop of a hat, and that's wrong. But sometimes what happens is that these Christians have probably at some point been part of a fellowship where the rest of the fellowship were happy to sit back, put their feet up, and leave it all to them. Can you see? If you're part of a fellowship where you're the only one who'll do anything, then can you see, if no one else, you are in danger of almost being made a monopolizer by the laziness of the other believers in the fellowship. Can you see? So when you've got fellowships dominated by certain people, um, if, if, it's as a re if that's partly because no one else will open their mouth or no one else will do anything, then the silent ones have got to take their share of the blame in that situation. Remember the principle we've underlined a couple of times already. With Christians who are naturally the type of people to hold back, Satan gives warnings of the dangers of going over the top. So if you're a kind of a church mouse Christian, Satan's always saying, well, be careful, you don't want to overdo it. <laughs> you know, one prophecy every ten years is fine. <laughs> you see? But, if you're one of those Christians who's kind of naturally over the top, you know, ten prophecies every meeting, <laughs> then Satan warns you of the dangers of holding back and dishonouring God like that. Can you see? You've got to judge yourself according to the way that you really are, and you have got to wear the particular cap that fits you. But remember as well, and I said this a couple of studies ago, it is easier to cool down a hothead than it is to warm up a corpse. Uh, you know, so, so I mean, don't be on people who are really up front and whoosh, they're, they're always ready to go. I mean, let's not kind of, you know, have a campaign against them. There are dangers with that kind of person, but believe me, it's easier to hold them back than it is to get some Christians going. You know the old thing, when the uh, sort of going gets tough, the tough gets going. Uh, uh, not Christians, <laughs> or not many. Can you see, it's so easy to just sit back and let other people do it all for you. Okay, right, let's um, remind ourselves, let's just go through then. Uh, we've seen some of the hindrances, and uh, we've got to spot the ones that Satan is using in us, and we've got to repent accordingly. But let's just go through now a few objective tests which will enable us to sift out the right use of the gifts of the Spirit from the wrong use of the gifts out, gifts of the Spirit, and will also enable, enable us to sift out the genuine actually from the satanic counterfeits. So a few things. The first one is this. <coughs> Some of this we've covered before. The gifts of the Spirit will be consistent with the Bible. The Holy Spirit will never do anything that goes against the teaching of the Bible. Let me give you some examples, alright? How you can tell gifts of the Spirit which aren't genuine. If you have, for instance, a prophecy over a woman or women calling them into the eldership, 
Or if you have a woman who's been made an elder and then there is a prophecy confirming that God has called them into the eldership, that is a false prophecy. Alright? Cannot possibly be a prophecy. Why? Because the Bible specifically teaches that women cannot be elders. So can you say, get out of this habit of, oh, well, there was a prophecy about it. So what? So what? You test prophecy by the Bible. Can you see? If you get a prophecy calling a woman to eldership or a woman into something like a Bible teaching ministry or prophecies confirming these kind of things, those prophecies are not from God, all right? Because they go against the Bible. Uh, we've spent time here in the past like the ministry, the so-called ministry of inner healing and the healing of the memory, stuff like that. That's not a ministry of the Holy Spirit at all. It's Freudian, Jungian psychology that has been Christianised. Alright? And loads and loads of Christians are falling for it. It's based on modern psychological theory. Modern psychological theory goes against the teaching of the Bible. I'm sorry, I don't, you know, you might like inner healing ministries and healing of the memories, but I'm sorry, they're not scriptural. They are not ministries of the Holy Spirit, all right. Uh, another example, who's heard of Kenneth McCall? Now, Kenneth McCall is quite well known in charismatic circles. And uh, now, what he's into at the moment is this. He believes in earthbound spirits. He believes that there can be times when someone dies, but for whatever reason, they can't get the other side to be with God. They get stuck on earth, all right? You know, be it in a building or because they're emotionally attached to somebody. And, and he's written a book called Healing the Family Tree, outlining the way that God has used him in this ministry. And what happens if you come to him with a problem? And isn't it interesting? You can go to 10, Christian problem, 10 Christians with a problem, and you'll get 10 different diagnoses, all right? Now then, Kenneth McCall's is this. Probably your problem is because one of your ancestors hasn't been able to get beyond, all right? And their spirit is actually still emotionally tied up with you. And because their spirit, their ghost, if you like, is interfering with your spirit, therefore that's throwing you up the spout spiritually. So he, I mean, he discerns through words of knowledge and discernment who the spirit is, you know, Aunt Ina or Uncle Fred or whatever. Words of knowledge are very important. Words of knowledge and discernment, you see. And then what they do is they have a service and they lay the spirit. They release the spirit of that dead person in order to, for, you know, for that dead person to be released into God's hands, all right? And this book is full of testimonies. Christians, spirit-filled Christians who went along and they got this ministry and they had visions of, oh, I had, a, you know, visions of Jesus. Oh, I see Uncle Fred. Jesus is receiving him. I'm not kidding. Get the book. Read it. Read it. Christians are falling for it. Now, can you see that ministry is not the Holy Spirit? It is a satanic deception. But remember, Christians fall for it because it works. Can you see? So, for instance, a ministry like that, a ministry of freeing you from someone who's dead but who is earthbound and won't let go of you, that also is a demonic deception. Uh, another example, visions of Mary and the saints. Uh, in the charismatic movement, it's gone all ecumenical, anything goes. You know, and of course many, many Catholics are in it as well. There are Catholics today being baptised in the name of Mary. There are Catholics today who speak in tongues and they say, Bless Mary, Mother of God, for giving me this gift. 
Now, I'm not saying that every believer who's a Catholic, who's baptised with the Spirit, got done demonic. I'm not saying that. Many, many Christians in the Catholic Church, they looked to Jesus and they know that Jesus did it. That's no problem. What I'm saying is that there are genuine, true blue Catholics who are getting so-called baptised in the Spirit. Can you see? Praying to Mary and the saints. That's demonic. Can you see? That is not the gifts of the Spirit. And anything involving visions of saints and praying to saints, can you see the same category as Kenneth McCall? Anything to do with dead people is out. It's demonic. You don't touch it with a barge pole. It's definitely not of God. Uh, so there are some examples of where so-called ministries or prophecies aren't ministries of the Holy Spirit. They're not prophecies because they go against the Bible. One more example as well. Be very, very careful of uh, these guys, and not just guys, the women as well, be very, very careful of, of, of the men and women in ministry today who have miraculous ministries. And the result of these ministries is that their ministries have made them stars. And they act like stars as well. Do you know what I mean? Celebrity Christianity. That's what it is. Be very, very careful about that. A genuine, miraculous ministry will not draw attention to the person being used. It will glorify Jesus. And you will see that person doing everything he can not to be seen. Do you see what I mean? He will not be doing, or she will not be doing, anything to bolster their own ministry tremendously important a true ministry of the Holy Spirit will only glorify Jesus not people now in a second test for the gifts of the Spirit they will always be done decently and in order 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 40 Paul says but all things should be done decently and in order all right now then there may be times, remember last week we saw the word of wisdom, there may be times when a gift can be properly ministered and the reaction it gets isn't very decent or isn't very in order. Yeah, but that's different. We're not saying that because there's an uproar that that means that the gift of the Spirit was wrong. What we're saying is, did the uproar come from sinful reactions to what God did or did the uproar come from the way the gift was ministered? Can you see Regardless of the reaction to a gift that's been ministered, <coughs> it must be absolutely clear that the gift itself was ministered decently and in order. Now then, this done decently in order, why? Why does God hate chaos? The different reasons, I'll tell you one. Because when the Holy Spirit is free to minister, the use of the gifts will always respect and enhance the free will and dignity of the people being ministered to. Can you see how important that is? If you minister a gift of the Spirit, you must minister it in such a way that it respects and enhances the free will and dignity of the person you're ministering to. Avoid what I call conveyor belt charismatic Christianity. You know, the long queues stretching halfway down the road and piles of bodies everywhere. <laughs> Jesus was into the personal touch. 
Can you see how easy it is to turn rallies and meetings into production lines? I find it fascinating. The big emphasis today is on sort of rallies and big meetings and healing meetings. You read through the New Testament, the church did nothing like that at all. In the New Testament, there was one thing only, the meeting of the church. That was all. There were none of these big meetings bringing in big speakers. There was only the local church where healing and miracles could be ministered within an atmosphere where everyone knew each other. Can you see? Rather than this herding Christians together. Alright. I've told you the way that Christians get a, a thing like that. Alright. There's a demand for it, you see. So the big boys come in and supply it. And there are Christians with little rings in their noses. And they're led around in the herd. From meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. They don't know what they believe. They don't know how to test what they're hearing. If they did know how to test what they were hearing, they would have enough Bible knowledge to not have that ring in their nose. Can you see? What a vicious circle that it is. And that it's vitally important to realise the Holy Spirit in his gifts will always enhance the dignity of individuals. And also, when it comes to ministering the gifts of the Spirit, I have seen people spiritually raped. And I mean it, and that phrase is not too strong. I have seen Christians totally overwhelmed by the personality and the zeal of the people who want to minister to them. And they're spiritually right. People get hooked out in public, in big meetings. You, at the front, got a word for you. Now don't you realise that there are many, many Christians, they can't withstand that. If you do it to them, they'll go along with it because of embarrassment and because they're frightened. We should never put people in a situation like that. It's an absolute scandal. That is what the sectarian movements do. Can you see, that's not what we are supposed to do. Jesus never did anything like that at all. <coughs> you must establish, before you minister to somebody, you must have it absolutely established clearly in your mind that that person has given you their free and uncoerced permission to minister to them. Can you see what I mean? What you must not do is to go and overwhelm someone in ministry when, I mean, let's face it, if they do say, I don't want you to, the chances are they're going to get told, oh, well, don't you want to be right with God? Can you see? They're trapped. It's a terrible thing to do. We must never, ever do it, okay? We've got to respect the dignity of people as individuals created in God's image, no matter who they are. Now then, another thing, the gifts of the Spirit will be clear. They won't leave people in confusion. Um, tremendously important, like prophecy or words of knowledge. Uh, if you get prophecy or words of knowledge and everyone is there saying, what earth did that mean? Then it probably wasn't a prophecy or word of knowledge. Now, obviously, there's a proviso here. <coughs> there can be times when you'll get a word of knowledge or a prophecy in public for one undisclosed individual. The individual knows who they are, but they don't have to tell anyone else. Therefore, the rest of us don't know what it means. That's okay. But if you get words of knowledge or prophecy that are only like that, can you see that's crazy? There's no way to test them. Generally speaking, the gifts of the Spirit will not leave 
people confused or anything like that. And another thing, they won't be silly. They won't be silly. Now, there you might think, well, of course they won't be silly, but, but tremendously silly things get done under the guise of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, some years ago, actually, uh, it, it happened here, and this was a long time ago, all right, so it's safe to talk about it now. Uh, but it was when Blinger and I lived in Suffolk, and we you know, used to come down here once a month, and uh, it's like we, we were having car trouble. Now, the car trouble we were having is that people kept driving into us. <laughs> None of the accidents were our fault in the slightest. And, and we were getting, we were having a lot of near misses. And, and we were, and, and the, what finally did it was that we were driving here one Tuesday, all right, going along this road quite slowly, about 20 miles an hour. We had to slow down. The bloke on a motorbike drives right smack bang into the back of us. I mean, he fell off his bike. We took care of him. He wasn't hurt or much like that but we came here and it's like towards the end of the meeting after I'd sort of done the teaching I just asked people to pray just to get the Lord's protection around us in, in, in the car as we were traveling around the country and uh, and we did that and there was a prophecy from somebody all right now this prophecy uh, was saying that the reason that we were having all these crashes was because the car wasn't surrendered to God and because I wasn't let the I, I wasn't letting the Lord drive now, I'm sorry, I haven't got the faith to take my hands off the steering wheel. <laughs> now, can you see what a silly prophecy that is? <clears throat> to actually say to someone, well, the reason you're having these crashes is you're not letting Jesus drive it. <laughs> I mean, can you see? It's very easy to come up with prophecies at the drop of a hat, isn't it? But can you see they're not going to be silly? Because what can you do? When you ask people to pray to protect you in your car, and then a supposed word comes through and God says to you, well, you're not letting me drive. How do you let God drive a car, will someone tell me? Can you see? So make sure that the gifts of the Spirit, I mean, if they're silly, uh, they're not uh, sort of like gifts of the Spirit. Now then, also, the gifts of the Spirit will be fully under your control. They will never be compulsive in any way at all. You will never have no choice but to do it. Can you see? The gifts of the Spirit are not God taking you over and treating you like a puppet. And one of the reasons that they are totally under control is so that you can take all the things we've just said into consideration. Can you see? So if you get a prophecy or if you get a conviction, say you think, I really think that I've got to go and pray for that person. All right, or, or that I've got a word for that person, or that I've got a gift for that person. All right, before you do anything, ask yourself: Is it going to humiliate them? If you know them, ask yourselves: Are they going to go through the floor with embarrassment? Because some people would. Would it be better to wait till after the meeting and say, "Could we just go and pray in the other room?" Can you see? You've got to take these things into account. The gifts of the spirit are never compulsive, and you see the thing is. <laughs> when things go wrong as a result of ministering a gift wrong, and we will all make these mistakes, I want to keep emphasising this. Alright, we are all going to make mistakes, but when something goes wrong as a result of you or I ministering a gift, do not blame the gift. It wasn't the gift's fault, it was the fact that you used it wrong. Can you see? Now, I'm not saying that to get us all, oh, I used the gift wrong, this is terrible. All I'm saying is, look, we've got to learn from our mistakes, therefore you can't learn from a mistake unless you identify it. Can you see? So when things go wrong, don't blame the gifts. Don't go and say, well, I mean, if God hadn't given me that prophecy, then it wouldn't have happened, would it? You know, can you see? Because, I mean, 
that that's our fault. That's not what you know. That's not God's fault. They are never out of our control. They're under our control the whole time. And then this as well, tremendously important. Mature believers. I'm not talking about baby Christians now, but mature believers who are used substantially in ministering the gifts of the Spirit will be correctable. This is vitally important. Mature believers moving in the gifts of the Spirit will be correctable. And as you become a more mature believer moving in the gifts of the Spirit, that means you will become ever more correctable. You see, because every gift, everything we do, must be tested by the other believers who are present. And they must test it according to the teaching of the Bible. Therefore, none of us are above being accountable for ministering the gifts. Therefore, we must not be uncorrectable in any way at all. I'm going to say this, and it's tremendously important, because many, many Christians over the years would have saved themselves an awful lot of heartache and pain if someone had said this to them. So I'm going to say it so you've heard it, alright? So you're going to be alright. It's this. Avoid uncorrectable Christians in ministry. I'm going to say that again. Avoid uncorrectable Christians in ministry. Turn to Titus when Paul wrote to Titus. <coughs> and you want chapter 3 and verse 10. And Paul says to Titus this. He says, As for a man who is factious, admonishing him once or twice, have nothing more to do with him. Paul says, if you've got someone who's factious, give him a couple of warnings and tell him, now look, this has got to stop. If he ignores those warnings, have nothing more to do with him. Now what does factious mean? What does it mean? The Greek word is hereticos, alright? And it comes from the verb to choose. Now, interestingly enough, this Greek word, hereticos, from the verb to choose, is where we get the word heretic from. Hereticos, heretic. It's where we get the word from. And what it literally means is self-opinionated. A heretic is someone who's uncorrectable. So that when they get funny ideas or erroneous ideas in their head, which we all get, we all get deception in our heads. But a heretic is someone who, having got deception in his head, he will not listen to anyone to be corrected. Can you see? Therefore, he assumes that what he believes is right, absolutely, and he becomes a heretic. He becomes factious. And Paul says with people like that, look, don't get anything to do with them. They are self-opinionated. All they're concerned about isn't what the Bible says, isn't what other Christians say. They have one concern, and it is what they think. And you see, these people, they go only on what they think, 
and what they believe, and they have not the slightest sense that they have to be accountable or open to correction. They are not open to the fact that they might be wrong. You, tell the, you try and tell these guys they're wrong and you're the devil coming at them. Can you see? And it's that black and white for them the whole time. You've got to avoid people like that. You can't get anywhere with them at all. We must, all of us, each one of us, be open to the fact that any of us can be wrong about anything at any time, including the gifts of the Spirit. Therefore, if you get Christians in ministering the gifts who are uncorrectable, they are dangerous because they get into deeper and deeper deception. And of course they end up causing deeper and deeper division amongst Christians. Can you see what I mean? And they end up sort of like people walking around. And every fellowship eventually encounters them. They're like satanic plants. He sort of puts them in. They're ticking time bombs. That's why the Bible gives us such clear instructions how to deal with them. When it's clear beyond doubt that they are factious, then they're warned two or three times maybe and if they don't respond then you have nothing more to do with them because if you do well you know you're really asking for trouble and do you remember in the epistle of james last week when we were looking at how you test the word of wisdom one of the tests for the genuine gift is that it's open to reason can you see so that with someone who's really moving in the spirit you can go up to him and you say look i think i think that's wrong and they'll say well come on let's sit down and talk about this let's, let's turn to the word of god they don't have to accept they're wrong just because you say so but they they if if they maintain they're right they'll show you why they're right from the bible can you see what i mean the wisdom from above is open to reason there's only one person who never makes a mistake here and that's Jesus. The rest of us will make many mistakes. Therefore, we've got to be free to make our mistakes. One last thing. When you use the gifts, be yourself. No special verses. Alright? If you've got a very broad Cockney accent, if the Lord gives you a prophecy, I want to hear it in a broad Cockney accent. Alright? I don't want to hear it sounding out like the Archbishop of Canterbury. Can you see what I mean? Be yourself. The Lord is moving through you, but he's moving through you. You're not left out. You're not a puppet. Therefore, you're, but let your character come through. No special voices or anything like that at all. Don't do anything out of character with you. I mean, it's like, I'll give you, for instance, some Christians, as their natural characters, as people, they're loud. Can you see? And there's nothing wrong with that. They're loud, larger than life, bubbly. You always know when they're there, don't you? There's nothing wrong with that. That's them. They get really excited. Who am I thinking of? You know, you can't possibly miss their voice. Who am I thinking of? Always saying, Hallelujah, Avalon. Who am I thinking of? Can you see? Someone like Robert and other people here as well. They're larger than life. They're loud people. And that's fine. That's terrific. Nothing wrong with that as well, you see. Now then, the point is that with people like that, when they're coming against sickness and when they're casting demons out, do you know what they do? They shout. They get excited because that's them. They end up yelling and screaming. And it's them. Can you see? It's quite natural. Now the point is this. If you're a quieter person, more like me, if you're one of the quieter people, 
then when you, you're praying for the sick or casting demons out, don't suddenly start yelling and screaming. I've seen Christians do this. I mean, sort of, in, in their normal situation, they never talk in more than a whisper, you see. And then, there they are ministering to somebody. And they're yelling and they're screaming in Jesus. And it's totally false because it's not them. But the reason they're doing it is because they've seen other people do it like that. Can you see? Look, let me tell you. When demons leave somebody, it's not because they don't like being shouted at. Can you see? Now, if you're a quiet person, if you end up shouting at demons, then that must mean that you think it's going to be more effective. <laughs> Rubbish. I don't tend to be a shouter. I mean, if I'm casting a demon out of somebody, I mean, I just talk in my usual conversational voice. For the reason being, demons leave people because Jesus has given us the authority to tell them to. It's got nothing to do with whether you yell and scream. If you're a yeller and screamer, carry on. That would be wrong for you to become a church mouse. But can you see, don't do anything out of character. Be yourself with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what we're saying is, look, let's feel free to move out and make our mistakes. And let's lovingly be open to correct each other and to be corrected ourselves. Now then, in this series of talks that we're doing, we're going to be <coughs> moving on to look at love and to look at fellowship. The reason being that when Paul teaches about the gifts, he does it in the context of fellowship and love. So we're not going to take the gifts of the Spirit in isolation. We're going to do it properly. And, by, and we'll be moving on to that in two or three studies' time. But in effect, when we get to the end of this course, you're going to realise that really what we've done is a verse-by-verse -verse kind of study on 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. Apart from the verses about ministries, because we're not dealing with ministries here, but apart from the few verses in 1 Corinthians 12 about ministries, by the time we finish this, we will have covered every verse, the whole lot. And therefore, because of that, next time, we're going to look at a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 14, which I call the difficult bit in 1 Corinthians 14. They don't directly relate to the gifts of the Spirit, although they do indirectly, but they're, they're two bits in 1 Corinthians 14 that Christians usually really scratch their heads when they read them. So next time, for the sake of completeness, we're going to just digress a little and we're going to be looking at those two particular verses and seeing exactly what Paul meant. So we will continue with that next time.